Turn, if you would, this morning to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. This morning will be our final message from this study. I hope it's been a help, and I trust that it has, to some extent, been a help in your life. If not, I bet that's not the Word's fault. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. Father, we do want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you, Lord, for your Word that feeds us, that challenges us, that rebukes us, that encourages us, that does so many things in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the study that we've enjoyed the last few months from this psalm. I'm thankful, Lord, for all that we've been able to uh, receive from it. I pray that you'd help us today as we close out this study. God, that you'd help it to uh, speak to our hearts and that you'd help us to be honest uh, in what it has to say and how it could apply to our lives. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I think you would agree, I, I trust that you would agree, that what I'm about to say, okay, let me start over, okay, I, I want to make sure that this comes out right. This morning, I trust that you would agree with the statement I'm about to make. And the statement would be this, that the liberal agenda in America has not been a benefit to our culture and a benefit to our society. Would you agree with that, that the liberal agenda has not been a benefit to our culture? It has not been a benefit to our society. Now, I could illustrate that in so many different ways this morning if I wanted to take the time and if I thought you would listen to the different ways in which I would, could illustrate it. But this morning, I want us to think about something, and I'm sure I've touched on this in messages past. It's something that is the result of a liberal handout mentality that we see in our culture today. So as I go through this, please know that I'm not trying to be rude, I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm not trying to sound uh, cold and hard-hearted, but there's a thought that I want us to think about, there's a principle that I want us to consider. As I've mentioned in times past, over the last 15 years, the phone has rang here at the church office on many different occasions. I've looked at the caller ID to see if I recognize the person who is calling the church. Many times I do, many times I do not recognize the number. But there have been many occasions in which I have answered the church phone by simply saying, Grace Baptist Church, and the person on the other end of the line begins explaining the purpose for their call. As they began explaining the purpose for their call, they began telling me their story. They began telling me what all has happened to try to give me some context as to why they would be calling us. But eventually it gets down to this issue. It gets down to this question. We need some money. Could you help us? Now the specifics are different. The specifics are never quite the same with each caller. But it gets down to this thought, it gets down to this idea, we need money for rent, we need money for formula, we need money to pay our utility bills, we need money for this, we need money for this, we need money for this. Could you help us in this time of need? 
Now, this morning, you understand what I'm about to say. I trust that you do anyways. And that is this. I wish that our church was just so wealthy that we had unlimited sources and that for everyone who called our church, I could say to them, yes, we would love to pay your rent. Come on down. We, we do this all the time. Yes, come on down to the church. We'll cut you a check for your rent. We'll buy you that formula. We'll give you the gas money to get to Lubbock for your hospital visit or your doctor visit because all the doctor visits seem to be in Lubbock for reasons I don't fully understand. Nonetheless, you just come on down to the church and we'll give you the money. I wish we had the resources to do that. But we don't. And no church has the resources to just constantly hand out money to everyone who suggests that they are in need. So here's what has happened. I have listened to their stories on many occasions, and after they have concluded their story, I've said something like this, I'm sorry, but we're unable to help at this time. I'm sorry, but we are unable to help at this time. Now, to be fair and to be honest, I would have to say this, that most people at that point in the conversation, say something like this. Okay, thank you. And that's the end of the conversation. But every once in a while, you can hear the frustration on the other end of the line. I've just said to the individual, I'm sorry, but we're not able to help at this time. I'm sorry, but, but we're just not able to do this. I, I apologize that we can't help you. you. You might try this organization, or you might try this organization. I never direct them to another church, but I say you might look here if, if you're really in this kind of a bind, if you're really in this kind of a situation. And you can hear their frustration sometimes. And it's almost like they are conveying this thought with their frustration. Why aren't you helping me? How dare you not help me? And as I've thought about this over the years, I've come to this conclusion and I've come to this realization. People like to call churches because many times they'll say things like this, I've been calling the churches around town asking. So I've come to this conclusion that people call churches in need of assistance because they think the churches can help, and some of them believe the churches are obligated to help them. Well, you're a church, therefore you're obligated to pay my rent. Well, you're a church, therefore because you call yourself a Christian, you're obligated to pay our water bill. You're a church, so therefore you're obligated to buy our baby the formula that the baby needs. And so there's this mentality that because you are a church, you must have the resources, and because you must have the resources, you are obligated to give us of your resources. And the longer I've dealt with phone calls like that, and the more frequent that they've come in, you know what my flesh has wanted to say on different occasions? I've wanted to say something like this. How dare you? How dare you? You don't want to come to church, but you expect us to pay your bills. You don't want to identify with our church family, but you expect us to take up your slack. 
You don't want to be in a church family. You don't want to live according to the truths of God's Word. You don't want to live according to what the Bible teaches. You don't want to do anything that the Word of God says by way of faithfulness, by way of obedience, by way of tithing, by way of giving. You don't want to do any of that. But you expect me to to cut you a check on behalf of our church to pay your bills, and you're going to get frustrated and exasperated and irritated at me when we don't just jump to it to give you money? How dare you? If you would like to benefit from the assembly of believers, then why don't you join the assembly of believers? You understand my thought process on that? You understand it, if you're honest at all, that just because we're a church, we are not obligated to take care of everyone else's financial issues or whatever burdens they may be carrying in life, especially if they choose not to participate and engage in what's going on at a particular church family. It's just common sense. Now, the liberal mindset of today, the liberal agenda today, they don't want to accept that. But for any honest, rational individual, they understand the principle, they understand the concept. Now, I say all that this morning for a reason. I want us to think about this entire psalm that we've dealt with the last several months. Over the last several months, we have watched as the writer, most likely David, has talked about many difficult days in his life. He has talked about the times he's been pursued. He's he's talked about the times that he's been uh, harassed. He's talked about the number of people who have wanted to afflict him. There is so much about this chapter that indicates a difficult season in his life. Now, this morning, as we look in verse number 173... I want us to see a request that is made by the writer. The writer says this, Let thine hand help me. Let thine hand help me. What does it mean whenever he begins this sentence, whenever he begins this statement with the word let? The word let means this, to allow or permit something. To allow or permit something. And so as he speaks or as he prays to the Lord, he says, Lord, I am asking you to allow this or to permit this. So he says, God, I am asking you to let your hand help me. What does it mean to help? It means this, to support or to aid someone. And the word help or the word hand also means this. It's a reference to strength and power. So here's what the writer recognizes, here's what the writer understands, is that the hand of God has strength, and that the hand of God is powerful. And so in the midst of this ongoing conflict, in the midst of this ongoing issue, in the midst of these trying and difficult days, here is what the writer says to the Lord. He says, Lord, please let or allow or permit thy hand of strength and thy hand of power to support me or to aid me. Now think about for just a moment who the writer has gone to. He has gone to the Lord with this request. He has not gone to a family member. He has not gone to friends. He has not gone to to business associates. He has not gone to random individuals looking for their support or looking for their aid or their help. He has gone to God 
the creator of the universe, and more specifically for himself, he has gone to God who is his own creator. And he says, Lord, I am asking you to help me, to aid me, to support me by your strength and power in this time of difficulty. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I have not wanted to approach certain people. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Because of their position, because of their clout, because of their rank, whatever it may have been, there have just been certain times in my life that there has been a hesitancy on my part to go to this person because in my estimation of things, in my evaluation of things, there was a realization on my part that this person is above me, okay? And so because of what I perceive to be a gap in superiority between that person and myself, there have been times that I have been hesitant to go to them. Now think about this. This writer knows who God is. He knows the position that God holds. And he knows the superiority of God over himself. And he still has the nerve and the audacity to go to the Lord in the midst of the time, in the midst of the trying and difficult times, and he says, "Lord, I am asking you to help me." That could seem bold from some people's perspective, could it not? It may even seem a bit presumptuous of this person to, to bypass all these other resources, family, friends, associates, whomever it may be, to skip all of these people and go directly to the Lord and ask for help. It could seem a bit bold. It could seem a bit presumptuous. But here is what the writer knew, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Here is what the writer knew, that God had the resources to be a help to him in his time of need. God had the resources. God had the ability. And so here it is, the, the request that is being made, and yet as the request is being made by the writer to God for help, it's not as bold and not as presumptuous as some people may think for this reason. Notice what he said next in 173. He said, For I have chosen thy precepts. For I have chosen thy precepts. Now, by this point in the study, we should know what the precepts are a reference to. They are a reference to the commandments of God's Word or to the Word of God in general. Okay, We know how this has been used interchangeably throughout the study. So he speaks of the precepts or the commandments or the Word of God. And here's what he says as he makes the request to the Lord. He says, God, I have chosen thy precepts. God, here's what I've done for myself, for my own personal life, for my own personal approach to living. Here's what I've done. I have made the choice to live according to your precepts, your commandments, your word, rather than what? Rather than my own precepts or my own thoughts or the commandments of this world or the inclinations or the tendencies of anyone else. God, here's what I have done. I have set everything else aside and I have made the choice to obey your word rather than anything else. 
There is a reason the writer could go to the Lord with such a request and do so with a measure of confidence because he knew in his heart and he knew in his mind, God, to the best of my ability, God, with what I know to be right and what I know your word to be teaching, God, this is what I have done. I have chosen to live according to your word. And so because of that, I now feel the liberty to say unto you, please let your hand help me in the midst of this trying and difficult time. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are to this point, but I want us to think about this idea, and I want us to think about this this concept for just a moment. Can you imagine if the writer was going through a difficult time, if the writer was going through the persecution, if the writer was going through the affliction, if the writer was going through all these perilous moments in his life, and he said, Lord, I, I know I've not been obedient. God, I know that I've not chosen your precepts over my precepts. God, I know that I've not chosen your will over my will. However, Lord, I'm asking you to help me. Listen, please. Can we imagine for just a moment how absurd such a request would seem? Lord, I've been doing what I want to do. Lord, I've been living how I want to live. Lord, I've been pursuing what I want to pursue. God, I've been doing what culture tells me to do. God, I've been doing what my flesh wants to do. God, that's what I've been doing. But see, God, I've kind of worked myself into a bind now. I've kind of worked myself into a predicament with all my disobedience. But in spite of that, here's what I'm asking you to do. God, I'm asking you to go ahead and bless me anyways. You know what the Scripture is clear on? And we could go to the references this morning if we wanted to take the time to do it. You know what Scripture is clear on? The Scripture is clear on this truth. God's not interested. God's not interested. Uh, At one point with His own children, the children of Israel, you know what the Lord said to the children of Israel? Go to the gods that you forsook me for. You find yourself in a time of need. You, you find yourself in a time of trouble. You find yourself in a time of sorrow. And, and now you come to me and you say, God help. He, he said, I tell you what, why don't you just go to the gods that you forsook me for and let them help you? The liberal mindset, the liberal way of thinking, the, the, the liberal philosopher, here is what they want to assume, and here is what they would believe as it relates to a passage like this, that it does not matter how the person lives, that when they go to God, God should respond in a favorable fashion because God is obligated to respond in that manner And we've got to remind ourselves, God is not obligated, just as he was not obligated to help the writer of this verse, he was not obligated to help, and he is not obligated to help anyone if they do not choose to live according to the precepts and the commandments of the Word of God. The writer had the boldness to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm asking you to help me. But that boldness was grounded in this understanding of who he was and where he was at in his personal life with the Lord. God, I have chosen to do what your word says. 
Now, as we think about that this morning, again, dealing with the, the thought process of so many people in our culture today, here is what they want to do. They want to exclude God from every aspect of their lives until they need God. And then as soon as they need God, here's what they want to do. They want to run to God and express to God, God, now I need from you your help, your aid. God, I need you to strengthen me with the power of your hand. God, I need you to do something wonderful in my life. And the liberal mindset, the, the, the non-biblical approach to Christianity is this. And so God, because you are loving, because you are kind, because you are all these things, here's what I expect you to do. I expect you to address all my problems and take care of them as quickly as possible. We've seen that on display, have we not, in recent days? Tragedy strikes the nation and what do people in the media begin calling upon others to do? They began calling on you and I as fellow citizens to begin praying for people. Have you noticed this? I know we've talked about this in sermons past. I know that this isn't anything new, but but it's a reminder we need, and I'll talk more about this in a moment. But, I mean, we're watching in our own country, a country that wants nothing to do with the precepts and the commandments of God. And yet when tragedy strikes, they want us to pray for this people, and they want us to pray for this group, and they want us to pray for this agenda, and they want us to pray for this movement, and they want us to pray for this person affected. And listen, I understand that in the mindset of individuals, it makes sense to run to God, but how dare we as a nation run to a God in time of need when we as a nation have no use for God when times are good and when times are peaceful? It is ridiculous. Friday night, my family was at a baseball game in Dallas, and we were watching the Rangers play. And you know what happens if you've been to a game or you've watched a game in recent years. In the seventh inning, you stand, and what does everyone do? They sing, God bless America. Now, Friday night when my family was at the game and in the seventh inning when everyone stood and began singing God Bless America, I sang along because I want our nation to know the blessings of God. But at the same time, I felt as though you could not be in a more hypocritical situation than I was in that night. Alcohol flowing all over the place, one party scene after another party scene, just an... just. In so many ways, an ungodly atmosphere, and yet at the appointed time, we all stood and sang for God to bless us. How ridiculous. We as a nation, we have this liberal mindset of who God is. That if he does exist, he is only there to be gone to in times of need. Otherwise, we live our lives however we want. Friends, that is a bold and arrogant and presumptuous attitude to have. And yet it is prevailing in our nation today. But you know this, and I'm not surprising you by anything that I'm about to say. 
But the same thing is happening in our churches today. Because seemingly we have no understanding of who God really is. So here's what happens in our churches and here's what happens amongst professed believers. Those who identify themselves as Christians. Those who would identify themselves as as followers of Christ. Here's what we're seeing in our culture today. Men and women who go to church somewhat on a regular basis, maybe, and yet in their own personal private lives, they have no concern for living according to the precepts of God's word. In their mind, attendance to church is everything that's required, and past that they can live however they want. Or they're of the mindset, they're of the persuasion that if they call themselves a Christian, then everything is good. But we ought to know by now that that's not all that is required in order to have a right relationship with God. Does that make sense? Okay, so... We're living in a culture, we're living in a society today that does not want to honor God, doesn't want to choose the precepts of God's Word. They want to live however they choose to live, Sunday afternoon through Saturday night. And yet when the heartaches come, when the trials come, when the difficulties come, what do they want to do? They want to run to Jesus. And they want to say something like this, Lord, help. God, help. Never mind the fact that many of the crises that people find themselves in were self-manufactured. They worked hard to get themselves into this position, but now that they have found themselves in this position, they are now running to the Lord and they are saying, Lord, help me. And they don't find a responsive God. Well, why should they expect to find a response of God? If they cannot follow their cry for help with this statement, God, I've chosen your precepts. God, I have made the personal choice to do what your word says. Why should they expect to find a response of God when they have been distant from the God they're now running to right now. And I know what some would say, well, who do you expect them to turn to? I understand it makes sense to run to God, but the problem is this, is that God is under no obligation to help and to aid and to support the one who has been living a rebellious lifestyle. Now, if one is ready to humble themselves, if one is ready to repent, if one is ready to turn from their ways and to begin making things right, that's a different story. But if all the individual has done is gone to God because they need a quick fix for the problem they have created for themselves, there should be no expectation that God is obligated to help and get them out of their predicament. Brother Kyle, that's not painting God in a very 
kind and loving light. That's not painting God in, in a way that's very appealing to people. I'm sorry, if we're going to be honest to the Word of God, we have to show God for who He is. And God is not just here to be a problem solver and a problem fixer. God is a jealous God who expects us to live a life of obedience. And if we're not interested in that, then again, we cannot expect God to be everything we need at our beckon call. And that's where Christianity lives today. It's not just a national problem. It is a so-called church-wide problem throughout our nation. Now, as we think about all that, there's a very simple question that we have to ask ourselves. Knowing that trials and difficulties and hard days are going to come, knowing that it's going to happen to every one of us at some point, the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Where do we turn? Where do we turn for that help and for that aid and for that support? A crisis has popped up here. A crisis has popped up here. We've just been confronted with this crisis. We've just been confronted with this. We've just had this brought to our attention. Whatever the crisis is, okay, it's now in front of us. We've got to ask this question. Okay, so to whom do we turn now? We ought to turn to the Lord. We should not look to family. We should not look to friends. We should not look to associates. We should not look to this organization, whatever it may be. We should not look to these things for support. We should come to the Lord for our aid. Whatever the crisis is. Whatever the ongoing situation is. But as we come to the Lord, seeking His aid and His help and His support, a good question for us to consider would be this. As I go into the presence of the Lord, could I make this statement with any measure of honesty? For I have chosen thy precepts. I have made the personal choice to follow your word, Lord, not my word, not culture's word, not family's word, not the word of friends, not the word of outside influences. If we're going to go to the Lord and ask for help, and aid and support, in doing so, can we also say to the Lord, Lord, you know that I have sought to live according to your word. If we're honest, that's a difficult statement to make. Because here's what you know and here's what I know if we're really honest. There are so many times that we're wrestling with our own flesh. 
And, and so there are so many times that I don't want to surrender my will to His will. I, I don't want to surrender my desires to His desires. And yet, God, now I'm asking you to do something great in my life to help me. Uh, listen, that, that is so bold and presumptuous for us to do such a thing. Again, I know that we need to turn to the Lord. I know that that's who we need to go to in our times of need. But, but before we do so, we need to be able to say, God, to the best of my ability, God, to, to the best of my understanding, I have been living in obedience to your word. Because unless we can say that, though it goes against everything we hear about a loving God who is nothing but good and kind, if we cannot say that, that we have chosen his precepts, then we need to understand that God is under no obligation to give us the help and the support that we are looking for. Brother Kyle, I, I want to be told that God's there for me no matter what. I'm sorry. I can't tell you that. Because God is not there for us, no matter what. If we've not been living for Him, if we've not been living in obedience, and we have no real intentions of living for Him, and living in obedience to Him, He is under no more obligation to help us out than our church is under an obligation to help people out who find themselves in need. Now again, I, I know that's not popular. I, I know that that's not what people want to hear about God and who God is. But I challenge you, if you're struggling with this, read through the Scripture and find all the occasions where people lived in disobedience to God and God just went ahead and blessed them in their time of need in spite of it. There has to be obedience. And where there has not been obedience, there has to be true repentance. There, there has to be true repentance. Of God, I want to make some things right. And I'm calling upon you today to help me. And God, I want to make things right so that I can know your blessing, so that I can know your help, so that I can know your aid in this time of need. I want to ask you, in your time of difficulty, in your times of trial, who do you turn to? Where do you go for that help? Yes, it ought to be the Lord. But if you're not living for the Lord, it is very bold and presumptuous to assume that he will. And if we have no intentions of living for the Lord, we need not even waste our time. Because God is under no obligation to help us when we have no desire to live for Him. Let's all stand this evening or this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. Lord, I do believe that we are living in a culture and a day that does not rightly understand who you are.
They don't understand that you're a jealous God. They do not understand that you are a holy God. They do not understand that you are a just God. They don't know who you are, so therefore they assume they can come to you whenever they need you, but they don't have to come to you or live for you at any other time. And God, that thinking and that mindset and that approach to life seems to have prevailed in the lives of so many people sitting in church. Those who call themselves Christians, they truly believe that they can live how they want, and then when the crisis comes, they can turn to you. Lord, would you help us today to understand that that is never what the Christian life was intended to be. And so, God, before we come to you for help, I pray that you'd help us to examine our own personal lives and to be able to say we have lived for you and we have chosen your word, and if we haven't, that we have every intentions to as of today. So I pray that you'd bless this time of invitation, that you'd speak to hearts however you need to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.